I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth. I'm going to try to reveal something to you that has been puzzling to preachers all over the world, and I've never heard anybody that understood it. If I have you read the 40th chapter of Ezekiel through the 46th chapter of Ezekiel, you won't have any idea what that is about. None. I've never met anybody that had any earthly idea what it's talking about because it's talking about building a temple. But it sounds literal and it sounds spiritual. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do, what I need to do. I need to start off by taking you back to Ezekiel, the first chapter. Ezekiel, the first chapter. And then we will go over to, you're going to have to pay real close attention because this is one of the most interesting puzzles. I believe God has let me see what it's about. It's not about a spiritual temple. At time it will mention something spiritual. It has to be a literal temple. If I say something over again two or three times, it's because... It's difficult to grab hold of it all of a sudden. And it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, verse 1, Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 1, verse 1, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives, this is Ezekiel talking, he says, I was among the captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. He's in Babylon. Now notice this. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. Let me write this down. J-E-H-O-I-A. J-E-H-O-I-A-C-H-I-N. And what does he say there? It is in the fifth in the fifth year, the fifth day of the month, the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. I'm going to show you where King Jehoiakim was taken captive. I've told you this before about Ezra. Excuse me, not Ezra. About Daniel and Ezekiel. Ezekiel. You got to do some some analytical thinking when you think about this. I keep telling you that Daniel and Ezekiel were carried away in the second deportation. In case you don't know what a deportation is, a deportation is when Israel was carried away captive by what's called the beast. The beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Of course, Babylon had three deportations. Uh, Let me write that again. Babylon had three deportations. They had one in 605. It was non-military. Non-military. And then 
then they had a deportation in 596, excuse me, 597, 96. Why could they just come in and carry Israel away? They were, Israel was a vassal nation. A vassal nation was a servant nation. One that was under servitude. The last legitimate king of Israel was a man named Josiah. And he had some sons. He had a son named Jehoahaz. Under Jehoahaz, the king of Babylon put these people in servitude to him. Josiah was the last legitimate king. He had his great revival in 2 Kings, the 23rd chapter. It started in the 22nd chapter when he discovered the book of the law. This was Josiah. His father was Ammon. Ammon, his grandfather, was Manasseh, a very wicked king. Well, I'm writing it wrong. M-A-N-A-S-S-A-H. Manasseh. And his great-grandfather was Hezekiah, one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. And you can see these kings... You can see these last kings, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, J-E-H-O-I-A, that it sounds like Jehoiakim, but it's J-E-H-O-I-A, J-E-H-O-I-A-K-I-M, K-I-M, whereas Jehoiakim, the C-H is pronounced just like the K. It's C-H-I-N. This was the, this was the king that everything was founded through. Jehoiakim was not a righteous man. And then you had... Jim, it's on the screen. What? It's on the screen. Up on here? Yeah. Well, if I can find it. Is it on here? Well, this thing ain't working. You're going to have to fix it. Here you go. I'll let you take it. Anyway, let me continue here. Now, the thing that's important in this second verse, this was the fifth year of Jehoiakim's captivity. Now, the when was Jehoiakim taken captive. You're going to find him being carried captive. The second deportation is in 2 Kings, the 24th chapter. Turn over there with me. It's very important to understand. In order to understand this mystery temple, it's it's important to understand when Jehoiakim, C-H-I-N, was carried captive. 
that will you'll find that over in the twenty fourth chapter of Second Kings. Twenty fourth chapter. You're not going to understand this weird temple that you find in Ezekiel unless you understand when Jehoiakim was carried captive. Now, the Bible says here in the twenty-fourth chapter and verse twelve, and Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon. He's going to be carried captive here. And he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. Now, how long did... Who takes his place? He is the next to the last king. He's the next to the last king. You can see him on the bottom of this chart. On the bottom of this, you can see Jehoiakim right there. The last king of Israel or southern Judah was Zedekiah. So he's the next to the last king. In order to stand, understand this mystery temple that's going to be built, you have to understand how long Zedekiah reigned. We'll look at this. Let's read, let's read on down to the last king of Israel. Remember, at this point, northern Israel, the two northern tribes, had already been carried captive. You can find their captivity in the 17th chapter of Second Kings. You can find Israel's captivity here in the 25th chapter of, of Second Kings and also in the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles. That's the very end of Israel as a nation. You have two chapters on southern Judah being carried captive. And why were they carried captive? Because they kept going after Baal and the grove and Shemosh and Molech and all these sun and tree gods. That was the same gods that Constantine brought into the church and renamed the Christ to Mass. That's very important to know. Now, we're going to read the rest of this chapter and get down into Zedekiah. And he carried out thence, verse 13, he carried out thence all the vessels of the house of the Lord, carried away all of the the Ark of the Covenant, carried away the all the the necessary implements for offering the sacrifices, the flesh hooks, the candlesticks, everything. And the treasures of the king's house, the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. Why? The smiths were blacksmiths. They made weapons. They made everything that was useful for the people to continue in their fight against Babylon. But Babylon was their master. They were paying tribute to Nebuchadnezzar, tribute 
was the same thing. When we paid taxes, what was that for? That was so that Nebuchadnezzar could be their protector and that he could repair whatever roads. When they turned to Baal in the grove, they didn't just turn away from God. They turned away from Babylon and from Nebuchadnezzar being their protector. And they said, we'll do things ourselves. And they couldn't. So what they're doing, they're rebelling against their Lord, which would be Nebuchadnezzar. Let's read on. None remains save the poorest. That's very important because when you read the 20th and 20, excuse me, the 40th, 39, 40, and 41 of Jeremiah, that is also... That's the captivity of southern Judah. And it'll tell you all about when when Nebuchadnezzar came in and his he had a, a four-star general and his name was Nebuzaradan. N-E-B-U-Z-A-R-R-A-D-A-N. Sounds kind of like, looks kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. But it's not. That was his commander-in-chief. He And Nebuchadnezzar had told Nebuchadnezzar, when you go in there, this man Jeremiah walked through the streets of that city for 40 years and said, I was going to come in here and destroy them and carry them away to Babylon. And they didn't listen to him. I'm not going to take time to read it. You can read it yourself. Go over to the 39th chapter. Read through verse chapter 40. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and says, Jeremiah, King Nebuchadnezzar told me you were an honorable man. You can come to Babylon and we will give you land there. Won't cost you anything. He said, you can come over there. We'll feed you. We'll give you land. You can plant. You can do everything you want to do. And because that was because he was honorable. And Nebuchadnezzar recognized that. And he told Nebuchadnezzar, tell him he's free. They had been having the Jews, that Zedekiah, had been hanging Jeremiah in the mire. Some say the mire, some of the ancients say it was waste. It was human waste. It was their septic systems. And Jeremiah was hanging in that. And that's because the people kept saying, this man, the people of Israel kept saying, this man is making us depressed, telling us we're going to be carried away. And they went to Zedekiah and said, can we kill him? And Zedekiah, the biggest pansy king that's ever lived in Israel, sissy, said, well, you can hang him in the mire. Just what a knucklehead. And when things were getting bad and he'd hear the rumblings through the gossip that Nebuchadnezzar's on his way, he'd say, uh, somebody go get Jeremiah out of the mine, bring him in. And when he came in, the king was going, Jeremiah, you stink. Uh, can you tell me, have you heard a word from about Nebuchadnezzar? Why would he ask advice from Jeremiah when he's the one that hung him in the mire? And Jeremiah said, Yes, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. Destruction's coming. And that sissy 
Zechariah said, you can hang him back in the mire now. Don't bring him in without bathing him next time. Ooh, he stinks. That's true Christianity. Anyway, so what I want to do is show you, I want to continue to show you about how Zedekiah became king. Let's keep reading here in the 24th chapter. And he carried, verse 13, he carried out thence all the treasures. Well, I read that. Verse 14, he carried away all Jerusalem except for the poor people. When Jeremiah answered Nebuchadnezzar, he said, No, I won't go to Babylon. I'll stay here with the poor people. See, the poor was no threat. They were not soldiers. They were not trained in battle. They could not, they were not blacksmiths. When it says smith, it's talking about blacksmiths, people who work in metal and iron. And they couldn't do that. So the poor sort of the people of the land there at the end of verse 14 stayed in Babylon. You can tie that when Jeremiah says, let me see if I can look at that real quick. Go over here to, don't lose your place there. Go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I believe it's in the, the, it's important to know this because Jeremiah is given the opportunity to go to Babylon to own land and to have his own place to grow his own crops. And he says, no, thank you. I'll stay here with the poor. And he says that very thing when you get over here to chapter I believe it's 40. Chapter 40 in in Jeremiah. Chapter 40. In verse 1. I'm not leaving chapter 24. The word of the Lord. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after that Nebuzaradan. There's the commanding general of of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had let let him go from Ramah when he had taken him, being bound in chains. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that put him in chains. It was that sissy Zedekiah, last king of southern Judah, southern Israel. Among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive into Babylon. He was the captain of the guard, and he took Jeremiah and said unto him. Now here's what Israel called the enemy. But he wasn't an enemy to Jeremiah. And he said to Jeremiah, The Lord thy God. Wow. You mean Nebuchadnezzar believed in the Lord God of Jeremiah? That, that's puzzled me for a long time. The Lord thy God pronounced this evil upon this place. Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian general, is telling Jeremiah, the Lord your God pronounced this evil that we would come and destroy it. That's astounding to me. It always has been. I'm wondering how much did Nebuchadnezzar believe God? Now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said. 
because you have sinned against the Lord, worshiping Baal in the grove and Shemash and Moloch and all those sun and tree gods. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that? How did he know that? How is he attributing it to the Lord God? It sounds like he was a believer. I don't know. Because ye have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. you got to remember who's doing the talking here. Nebuchadnezzar. You know why that's puzzled me all these years? Because I didn't believe any of those people believed God. Well, maybe Nebuchadnezzar did because after God struck him down for seven times, there in Daniel, the fourth chapter, I believe it was seven months, till his hair grew out like eagle's feathers and his fingernails grew out like bird's claws. It was Nebuchadnezzar who said these words. Maybe he witnessed to Nebuchadnezzar, who knows. Nebuchadnezzar said that God doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, nor to say to him, What doest thou? You can't question God. That was Nebuchadnezzar's words. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar believed in the Lord God. And they were Babylonians. Maybe you can ponder over that for the next 25 or 30 years. Okay. (laughs) And have not obeyed his voice. Therefore this thing has come upon you. We have come upon you. We are the conquering army. And now behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which are upon thine hand. If it seem good unto thee, come with me to Babylon. This is the Babylonian general saying, if it's good to you, if it's what you want, we're not going to hurt you anymore. Isn't that funny? The enemy is going to be gracious to Jeremiah and his brothers were trying to kill him because of his message. Wow. I will look well unto thee. This is Nebuchadnezzar saying these things. I've been told by Nebuchadnezzar to take care of you because you're an honest man. But if it seem ill unto thee to come with me unto Babylon, forbear, in other words, put up with it, behold, all the land is before thee, whether it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go or thither to go. Now, while he was not yet gone back, he said, Go back also to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. Now, Gedaliah had been appointed by Nebuchadnezzar to be the governor of the land of Israel. The the kings, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and and this and even Jehoiakim and Zedekiah had all been appointed to be kings of Israel by Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't real kings, they were just vassal kings, just servant kings of the of the mighty king. Then he goes on to say had hath made the let me read that Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, the son of Shephan, whom the king of Babylon hath made governor over the cities of Judah. So he's more or less governor. He's governing everything. 
dwell with him among the people or go wheresoever it seemeth convenient unto thee. You've got to remember, this is a pagan general telling Jeremiah, we're going to take care of you. That's amazing, isn't it? So the captain of the guard, which is Nebuzaradan, gave him victuals, he gave him food and a reward and let him go. They're not going to put him in captivity. He tried to tell Israel the truth, and they knew that. They said, you're an honorable man. You can go live where you want. Then went Jeremiah to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, he's the governor, to Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. And who was left? The Bible tells us the poor. That's all that was there. Now when the captain of all the forces which were in the fields, even they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, governor in the land, and had committed unto him men and women and children, and the poor of the land of them that were carried away captive to Babylon. Then they decide they want to kill Gedaliah. And they finally do, but we're not going to talk about that now. Let's go back over here to the 24th chapter of Second Kings. I don't know if I'll get through this. I'd like to. It's so much to it. Now, let's finish. Let's continue reading. Let's look at the fast, last phrase of the 14th verse of the 24th chapter. None remains save the poorest. All the people that could make weapons were carried away. All the weapons were carried away. So Israel could not fight. Verse 15. He carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon. C-H-I-N. And the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. Jehoiakim was carried away. Now, i got to read something else to you. I've read to you before. L- look at the last chapter of Jeremiah. It's about Jehoiakim being in Babylon. The last chapter of Jeremiah. I don't know how long it will take me to get through this. The last chapter. Remember the difference between Jehoiakim, C-H-I-N, and Jehoiakim, K-I-M. Jehoiakim was this, was this king we're talking about. In verse 31 of the last chapter of Jeremiah, you go over to that, 52nd chapter of Jeremiah, verse 31. It came to pass in the 7th and 30th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, C-H-I-N, king of Judah, he had been carried away. We talked about the being carried away in that 24th chapter, right? And Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, in the 5th and 20th day, of the month that evil Merodach king of Babylon 
in the first year of his reign lifted up the head of Jehoiakim. This is a following king to Nebuchadnezzar. That's evil, evil Merodach, the king of Babylon. Lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him forth out of prison, and spake kindly unto Jehoiakim, C-H-I-N. you got to remember, the C-H-I-N is not K-I-M. Jehoiakim was an uncle to Jehoiakim. He was one of the sons of Josiah, and he was an evil king. you got to keep these spellings different. And he spake kindly unto Jehoiakim, set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon. He honored Jehoiakim and changed his prison garments and did continually eat bread before him all the days of his life. He gave Jehoiakim an honorable place in Babylon. And for his diet, there was continual diet given him of the king of Babylon every day, a portion until the day of his death, all the days of his life. He was honored by the king of Babylon. This is important to understand because Jehoiakim is in the lineage of Christ. Of course, it has to be from the tribe of Judah. Just for the sake of reminding you, go over to Matthew, the first chapter, Matthew 1. This is the lineage of the kings because Jesus is of the tribe of Judah and in that 49th chapter of Genesis, the Bible says, the scepter, the ruling scepter will not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh, which is another name for Shalom, or peace, which is a name for Christ, until Christ comes. When you look at, you you can't seem to find Jehoiakim by the English in this first chapter of Matthew. Verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judah, or Judas. Now this is the lineage of Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. This is his lineage, and this is the lineage of the kings. Somebody wrote me a letter and said, why wasn't Mary named in this lineage? Men were only named in the lineage of Christ. Women were never names. If you'll notice, there's no other women named in this lineage. There's women named, but not as lineages of the king. There was a woman uh, in here. Her name was uh, her name was Rahab the harlot. Uh, Ruth the Moabite is named in this lineage, but not as lineages of the king. It's because they were married to one of the lineages of the king. Ruth was married to Boaz, who was an ancestor of Christ in this lineage. Now, and he goes on through here. So Judah was the fourth son of Jacob, and out of Judah would come the king. And he goes on down through here. 
Judith begat Pharez and Zerah, which were twins out of the same womb of Tamar. <clears throat> and Pharez begat Eshram, Eshram begat Aram. Aram begat Amenadab, Amenadab begat Naashan. Naashan begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab the harlot. But she's not in the lineage. Boaz is in the lineage. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth the Moabite. And Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David. David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah that David had murdered. And Solomon begat Rehoboam. Rehoboam begat Abiah. Abiah begat Asa. Asa begat Jehoshaphat. Wonderful man. Jehoshaphat begat Joram. A wicked man. Joram begat Ozias. Ozias begat Jotham. Jotham begat Achaz. Achaz begat Ezekiah. And Ezekiah begat Manasseh. And Manasseh begat Ammon. And Ammon begat Josias. And Josias begat Jeconias. Jeconias is a contraction for Jehoiakim. It's the same thing as Jehoiakim. It's important to know this. Why is it so important to know this? Jeconias. It's important because Jeconias was not the last king of southern Judah. Zedekiah was. But Zedekiah was not in, was not retained because he is such an evil man. And he really didn't want his kingdom stolen from him. And Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away into Babylon. And that's what the 25th chapter is about. The reason it's good to understand that Jeconias is the same thing as Joachim. He's the next to the last king. And, that, and he is not killed in Babylon. He's raised up out of prison, put in an honorable place, and evil Merodach raised him up and honored him. And he's in the lineage of Christ. This is what the worldwide church of God says. They say, here you had Jehoaz, a son of Josiah. And you see him in in Second Kings, the twenty third chapter at the end of the chapter and he's carried off to Egypt he's a wicked king Josiah's son and then he is he is he is succeeded over here in the 24th chapter he is succeeded by Jehoiakim J-E-H-O-I-A K I am. You got to keep that different than Jehoiakim. And then Jehoiakim is succeeded 
by his son, Jehoiakim. J-E-H-O-I-A-C-H-I-N. He's the one in the lineage of Christ. And then he is succeeded. Let's go back over there and read that. But I'll go back to the 24th chapter of Second Kings. Let's read this. In verse 15, And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon. That's the one who restored in that last chapter of Jeremiah. This is very important to understand. And the king's mother, and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty of the land, those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon, except for the poor named in the previous verse. Remember that. And all the men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen, and smiths of a 1,000. They wanted to get anybody out of Jerusalem that could make weapons, which were blacksmiths. All the smiths, they probably didn't call them blacksmiths. Back then they called them smiths. All that were strong and for war. The ones that wanted war against Nebuchadnezzar, they carried them all captive. There was no one there to fight. No one left. So when Nebuchadnezzar comes in some years later and levels the temple in Jerusalem, there's no one there to fight him or try to stop him. That's in 586 B.C. This carrying right right here is the second deportation. To deport means to someone has to come in and send them somewhere else. That's Nebuchadnezzar. So they come in and carry... Jehoiakim and all these mighty men that can raise up an army and nobody and this is the second deportation in 587 we know exactly 86 BC this is not there's a separation between this and and 2 Kings 25 the next chapter that next chapter is the destruction of Jerusalem and what year is that that I've said a thousand times up here (laughs) does anybody remember that's in 586 B.C. This is the second deportation. I don't know why I put 587 up here. It's 597. 597. 96 B.C. B.C. Somewhere. This is the second deportation where Jehoiakim is carried away. He didn't have to defend anybody or fight. Nebuchadnezzar just come in. He is the Lord over over Israel. Everybody in the land had to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. He was ruling the entire civilized world. Let me see if I can find this over here. 
give you a place to, to let you know he was ruling the civilized world. He was ruling all of this area, Jerusalem down to Egypt, over here in Asia Minor. He was ruler of all what they called the world, which was the civilized world. And everybody within the borders of that had to pay him tribute. And Israel refused to pay tribute. God had two different reasons he set them up to be carried away. One, they didn't pay any tribute to their king. And number two, they didn't pay any tribute to God. They went after Baal and the grove. And the reason for all of this is Baal, grove, Shemash, Molech, the same system that Constantine brought in the church and renamed Christ Mass. And he's going to do this to them. If you'll notice, if you will notice, there is approximately 11 years between the third deportation, which was a peaceful movement of the king and all the soldiers into Babylon. Nobody left but the poor. When Nebuchadnezzar comes in, Israel has no way to defend themselves. No way. And when he comes in, he destroys the temple. He carries everything that's left away. He burns down the temple that will burn. He, he burns down Jerusalem. They would, when they would go in there, they would burn down everything and then they'd take a plow and plow the whole place up. And then would sow it with salt so nothing would grow there. It was like a depressing place to be. And Jeremiah said, I'll stay there with the poor and some little makeshift tent. And he stayed. Mary asked me today, she said, who killed Jeremiah? I said, there's no record of that. They tried to kill him. They wanted to kill him. The princes came and said, Can we kill this man? He is disheartening us and depressing us. Running around telling everybody, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. We're tired of hearing it. That was the Jews that were saying that about Nebuchadnezzar, about Jeremiah. The only honorable people toward Jeremiah was the Babylonians. That's astounding to me. They heard how honorable he was. Now, Let's read the rest of this. All right. He carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon, verse 15. And the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land who's carried, those carried him into, ba- into captivity from Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the men of might, even 7,000 craftsmen and craftsmen, and smiths, the blacksmiths that could make weapons, and all that were strong and apt for war, they're carried away. Even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. There's nobody left to defend Israel when disaster comes 11 years later. And the king of Babylon made Matania. I thought you said... I thought you said Zedekiah was asking. He was. Mataniah was his Jewish name. 
brother. He made Mattania his the king brother, his father's brother. So this was also a son of Josiah, whose father was Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, down there in verse six. So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers. Jehoiakim was also a son of Josiah. So the father of Mattaniah, or the father, father Mattaniah, would have been his father's brother. And his father was Jehoiakim, one of the sons of Josiah. So, so the, the last king of Israel, or southern Judah, is one of the sons of Josiah. He was wicked too. And they changed his name to Zedekiah. When I talk about Zedekiah, I'm talking about Mataniah. That was his Babylonian name. When the kings of Babylon captured somebody, they'd give them Babylonians' names. They gave Daniel Belteshazzar. Not Belshazzar. Belteshazzar. They would give different men names. Uh, uh, when the Bible speaks of of the three Hebrew children, when you go to Daniel, that first chapter, it will tell you their Babylonian names, and it will give you their Jewish names. Learn to understand that because that's that's important to know. You'll be wondering why they call this or that, because that the Babylonians would give them different names. Let me see if I can give you that real quick. You need to learn that. And these three Hebrew children were Shadrach down here in. Among these, speaking of the three Hebrew children, verse 6, chapter 1, Daniel, were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mashiel, and Azariah. That's their Jewish names. Then it says, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mashiel, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego was their Babylonian names. They were given names in Babylon. Now let's go back over here. Go back over here to... This is very important. The 18th verse is very important. Remember when we first started this, I read to you something out of the first two verses of Ezekiel. It was in the... I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to read to you this next verse. You've got to tie these things together. 
Ezekiel, the first first chapter, verse 2, in the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. Now, when you go back to 24th chapter of 2 Kings, this is Jehoiakim's captivity. How long was he in captivity? Well, look here at verse 18 of chapter 24 of 2 Kings. Zedekiah, or Mataniah, he's the man that followed Jehoiakim, C-H-I-N, He's the guy that followed Jehoiakim immediately. Zedekiah was 20 and 1 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. You know what that means? When you get to chapter 25, that is Jehoiakim's demise. That's where he is killed in the 25th chapter. So it is 11 years from this from this 18th verse until you get to chapter 25, verse 1. It's 11 years. Can you see that? It's 11 years. That's very important because when you read that verse, in the fifth year of Jehoiakim's captivity... That's when Ezekiel starts. It's in the fifth year. In the fifth year. I'm coming to a point of Jehoiakim's captivity. What's about to happen in Ezekiel, the first chapter is the fifth year of Jehoiakim's captivity. He reigns 11 years. So there's six years left until the destruction of Jerusalem. Six years are left. So we know that Ezekiel is in captivity while Jehoiakim is over there and Jerusalem has not been destroyed yet. Here's the whole point. This is going to tell you. Let me erase some of this and see if I can explain this. This is very important to understand what this mysterious temple is. I'm going to say some things a little bit ahead of time and see if you can get a hold of them. I started to say earlier, when the Worldwide Church of God and anybody who believes in British Israel, the the throne was established through Jehoiakim, not Mattania, whose name was changed to Zedekiah. The Worldwide Church of God says that Zedekiah excuse me, not Zedekiah, that Jeremiah took the two daughters 
of Zedekiah. Over to London, England, and established God's eternal throne upon the throne of England. First of all, first of all, the throne was never established through women. Ever. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. It was established through Judah's children. What really amazes me about the worldwide church of God and that crazy guy over there in Arkansas that believed in a, in a, in the same thing, believed in, in the throne of England was God's throne. It's crazy. Because when the World War Church of God, what's his name, the guy in Arkansas? The, Arnold Murray. Huh? What did he say? Arnold Murray. Yeah, Arnold Murray. He believed in this too. He believed in, in British Israel. It's crazy. First of all, it was never established through daughters. The Bible doesn't say anything about Jeremiah taking any daughters to England. But here's what's crazy. First of all, he transgresses the word of God that it has to go through sons and it has to go through Judah. And you never find any lineage of Christ, whether it's the second chapter of Second Chronicles, when it gives the lineage of Judah. It's all men. When you go into the lineage of Christ in the first chapter of Matthew, it's all men, the ones that would be king if there had been a king here. What really gets me, that's, that is saying, since Zedekiah was of the tribe of Judah, his daughters could establish the throne in, Israel, in England. But here's the funny thing. I don't even know how to explain this. I hope you can understand it. That crazy uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, he said at the time he he built this worldwide church of God, he says that, that England was the tribe of Ephraim. Wait a minute. Ephraim is not even not even Judah. Ephraim was the second born son of Joseph, which had nothing to do with Judah. That's insane. And he said England was because they were the strongest between Ephraim and Manasseh, and that the United States the U.S. was Manasseh. What that was in the 1800s when England was more powerful than the U.S. Now that we're stronger than them, does that mean we got to put make us make England Manasseh and make us Ephraim? Does that? It, 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 it's stupid. It's dumb. They switch from from men to the tribe of Judah through women. And then they switched to 
Ephraim to the tribe of Joseph. And since Ephraim was the one that was blessed, they made England back in the 1800s. Ephraim and America was Manasseh. But since we're stronger now, does that make them Manasseh and us Ephraim? It's just stupid stuff. It's a dumb doctrine. You know, not probably not hardly anybody knows that uh, what that means. They don't know that Jeconias was a contraction for Jehoiakim. A contraction is like C A N T. Can't is contraction for cannot. That's a contraction. Jeconias, however they write it down in Hebrew, was a contraction for Jehoiakim. I don't know where in the world these guys come up with their wild, crazy ideas. That's a wild, crazy idea of Herbert W. Armstrong and Arnold Murray. You can't listen to Arnold Murray. The guy was wacky. He had some crazy beliefs. Now, let me tell you something I've been trying to show you. Now, maybe I've helped you to understand. Ezekiel is carried into captivity in 597 B.C. Let's just say 597, 96. Ezekiel in Babylon. Babylon 597 B.C. The temple is not destroyed till 586 B.C. It's not destroyed till then. While Ezekiel's in Babylon, God is showing him visions, visions of what's happening over here in Jerusalem. This is the same years Ezekiel is having visions from God of what's going on over here in Jerusalem. What's going over in Jerusalem is idolatry. That's idolatry. They have no interest. The men supposed to be running the temple are supposed to be Levites. And some of the Levites in their lineage was Aaron. And out of Aaron, the older brother of Moses, three years older than Moses, out of Aaron was coming the high priest of Israel. You had to be a descendant of Aaron. Even Moses' brother could not be a high priest. Moses was three years younger than Aaron. He could be a high priest. You had to descend from Aaron to be a high priest. Now, let me show you what they're doing. I gave this to you a couple weeks ago. Let me show you what they're doing at the time that Ezekiel is here in... Go over here to back to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel. Here's 
one of the visions that God is showing them. And the Levites evidently are not in charge. Some men have taken over. They probably are Levites. They're probably breaking all of God's laws because they're not even worshiping Jehovah. Go to the 8th chapter of Ezekiel. Here's what they're doing. I hope you can understand what I'm saying. It's very intricate. In verse 7, it's going to tell you what they're doing in Israel. And he brought me to the door of the court. This is one of Ezekiel's visions, 650 miles away of what's going on in the temple in Jerusalem. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. He said unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do there, that Israel is doing in the temple. So they're not really interested in what's going to happen to the temple and the temple being destroyed in 586. You think these priests are interested in it? They're not retaining what's going to happen to the temple. How much time do I have, Mike? 31. Okay, let's keep reading. So I went in and saw and behold every form of creeping things and an abominable beast and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the walls round about in the temple. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jazaniah and the son of Shephan, with every man his censer in his hand. And a thick cloud of incense went up. And then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of, of, the house of Israel? The ancients are the priests. Do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. God don't know what we're doing. We're too small in the scheme of everything for God to know what's going on. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. He don't know we're worshiping all these idolatrous creatures. Then said also unto me, Turn turn thee again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do and he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house which was toward the north and behold there sat women weeping for Tammuz the worship were worshiping Tammuz the fish god of the Babylonians in Israel it amazes me they're worshiping Ezekiel's over in Babylon God is showing them in Israel that worshiping Tammuz in Israel, the God of this place where he's permanently sitting. It's crazy. He's, and they're worshiping Tammuz, one of the fish gods and sun gods of the ancient world. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. 
And he brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house. The Lord's house is the temple of God. That's God's house. Specifically, the inner portion of God's house was called the house of the Lord. That was the inner temple right beyond the veil. Then you had the candlesticks out here, and you had the had the uh, altar of incense, and you had the table of showbread. And you had this brazen sea, had the altar here, had Solomon's porch right there. And here's what they're doing. He brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house. The inner court is in here. They had a fence around it. Just like you have over here. Just like that fence is around it over there. You can see that over there? Yeah, it's on the screen. I, I can't hear you, Mike. It's on the screen. Yeah, but I have to hunt for it. I didn't have to hunt for it there. It was out there in the open. If I can find it quick. Well, let me just use this over here. It turned off. They had a... Around the court, they had that screen. The inner court was inside there. Now... Let's keep reading. He brought me into the inner court, verse 16, chapter 8 of Ezekiel. And the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men. Twenty-five men. The only people that allowed inside that were Levites, particularly offering sacrifices, the sons of Aaron, the high priests. There were 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord. You had a north gate here. The temple faced east. This was north. This was west. This was south. There were 25 men with their backs to the temple facing the east, worshiping the rising sun. And you got to remember... Ezekiel is over here in Babylon seeing this in a vision. It looks like they don't even care about whether the temple's going to be destroyed 11 years later or not. Does it? And this is the whole point I'm getting to about this mysterious temple in Ezekiel. Uh, and their backs toward the east and they worshipped the sun toward the east. Those were Israelites worshiping the sun, worshiping Tammuz, having all kinds of animals embossed on the sides of the walls of their temple, painted up there. And you see these same men, these same men over here, judgments being brought upon them. 
chapter 11, verse 1. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the east gate of the Lord's house, which looketh eastward, and behold, at the door of the gate, five and twenty men, the same men, among whom I saw Jehazaniah, the son of Azur, Pelatea, the son of Beniah, princes of the people. Then said he unto me, Son of man, these are the men that devise mischief in Israel, wickedness and evil, and give wicked counsel, which say, It's not near. Nebuchadnezzar's not coming. It's not near. Let us build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we be the flesh. They're doing evil. Now, here's the whole point I want to get at. Israel is going to be destroyed. All of this is going to be wiped out just 11 years after Ezekiel is seeing these visions. Is anybody there to give some kind of... Now, God knows His plan and program. He knows the temple is going to be destroyed and burnt to the ground. The Bible says so. You can read that in Nehemiah, the first chapter. That the temple was burnt down. It was plowed up. They had these great big stones to build the temple with. They pulled all those down. They plowed the place up so so nothing would grow there. We also know that God has a plan and a program for Persia to overthrow Babylon in 539 B.C. We also know that we also know that in 5 38 B.C. that Cyrus the first conquering king of Persia which is the same thing as Iran Pakistan Afghanistan and all of the stands Turkestan, you got all these different stands over there. They're all a part of ancient Persia. Persia comes in and conquers Babylon. And Cyrus gives the decree to go back over here to Israel and rebuild the temple. Let me ask you this. Under whose instructions? Who knows how to build it? Certainly not these guys over here practicing idolatry. You think maybe God gave Ezekiel a blueprint? That's the only place you can find one in the Bible. A schematic? A schematic is something with all the details and of how it should be built.
I believe that's exactly... You're not going to understand when I read these things. It's not easy to understand. Let's go over there to the 40th chapter of Ezekiel and see if you can tell me what this means. There's going to be some men, evidently, that God has retained that God has retained over here in Babylon some honest, godly men that could not get these guys that were out of control offering all these sacrifices to these phony gods. There's going to be some of evidently Aaron's descendants over here in Babylon that will know what to do when Cyrus gives the decree to rebuild the temple then Darius Darius reaffirms that decree in 520 BC and then you got a decree by Artaxerxes in 457 to supply that temple but the decree is by Cyrus there has to be some instructions to build the temple and that's why I couldn't have given you these words up front you wouldn't know would you and there's some things in this that will show you it has to be the building of the literal temple because there's going to be a decree given by Cyrus. Where is he going to get the instructions? Maybe Ezekiel's writings? Go to the 40th chapter and look at... I can't read all of it. It sounds like instructions to some priest how to build a temple. And... Ezekiel is giving these instructions after he's over here in Babylon. Look in verse 6 of chapter 40. Then came he unto the gate which looked toward the east and went up the stairs thereof and measured the threshold of the gate which was one reed broad and the other threshold of the gate which was one reed broad. And every little chamber was one reed long and one reed broad. They knew what a reed was and how, how it measured. And between the little chambers are five cubits, and the threshold of the gate by the porch of the gate within one reed. Doesn't the Bible say all scriptures given by inspiration from God is profitable for instruction for in righteousness? Doesn't it say that? Well, this is going to be profitable to these priests, but not to you and I. We don't know what it means, do we? This is a blueprint, isn't it? And it goes on like this up through the sixth chapter. And you're not even going to know. And I got proof for you that this is the literal Jewish temple that they're going to build. Because it's got descendants of one of the most well-known high priests in all the Old Testament. His name is Zadok. Zadok was the high priest under Saul. When Saul died, David kept Zadok as the high priest of Israel. 
and we know that this has to be a literal temple, look at chapter 40, verse 46. 40, verse 46. And the chamber whose prospect is toward the north is for the priests, the keepers of the charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok. It means the descendants of Zadok. You had to be. Zadok goes all the way back. Well, let me give you the first time Zadok is mentioned. Second Samuel 8 and 17. Don't turn away from this. Second Samuel 8. Second Samuel 8. This is where David is fling or this is where David is king eight and seventeen let's read sixteen and seventeen Joab the son of Zeruiah was over the host and Jehoshaphat the son of Ahilad was recorder and Zadok the son of Ahitab and Ahimelech the son of Abiathar were the priests why was Abiathar one of the high priests? Zadok had been retained by David after the death of Saul as a high priest. And because of Abiathar, you can see Abiathar over in First Samuel in First Samuel twenty two when when Saul goes in and he kills eighty five of the high priests of Israel, one man escapes. Abiathar. And since Abiathar escaped, Saul comes in there and because Ahimelech, the top high priest of Israel at that time, because he had given David food from the table of showbread, it had to be changed once a week. And he gave him the food that had been his time to change it. And he gave it to David. And you can look here in verse 17. The king said unto the footman, This is Saul. Saul is chasing David all over Israel because David has been pronounced king by God himself. And Saul is claiming that David is trying to steal his throne. So he's chasing David, trying to kill him. He never succeeds, but he does die himself. What is that? I don't know who that is. What is that? All right, let me keep reading. The king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priest of the Lord. This is Saul saying, Kill the priest of God. They fed David because their hand also is with David and because they knew when he had fled and did not show to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. They said, No, we can't do that. Kill God's priests. And King Saul said to Doeg, 
a wicked, godless man. He wasn't even an Israelite. Turn thou and fell upon the priest and Doeg the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priest and slew on that day four score and five priests. Eighty-five priests of God that did wear the linen ephod. That meant they were descendants of Aaron. And Nob and the city of priests smote he with the edge of the sword. Saul was being wicked at this point. He just had no principle. He wanted his kingdom so much he's willing to kill righteous priests for it. Both men, women, children, and suckling, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Now let's go back over here to Ezekiel. So at one time, not only was Zadok a priest, but at one time, Abiathar was like an assistant high priest to him. Now I want to show you, so verse 46 of chapter 40 says, the keepers of the charge of the altar, these are the sons of Zadok, high priest of Israel. This has to be a literal temple to have Zadok involved in it. Now let me show you one more time. 43 and 19. We're talking about a literal temple that's going to be rebuilt. This has to be a blueprint for it. You and I won't understand it. But the descendants of Aaron would understand it. And God had to touch some hearts of some men that says, I've got instructions for the temple. I know how to read the blueprints that Ezekiel left us. It's going to be a long time after Ezekiel is carried away. Ezekiel is carried away in 597. It's not till 538. There's instructions for a temple. That's considerable a long time. That's nearly 60 years. And Ezekiel's got to be dead over here by this time. But where are they going to get their instructions? From the 40th to the 46th chapter of Ezekiel. It's full of things that's so confusing to you and I that we wouldn't understand. And he says over here in, in 43 and 19... 43 and 19. And thou shalt... Well, let's read 18, 19. He said unto me, Son of man, thus saith the Lord God, These are the ordinances of the altar in the day which they shall make it. It's talking about reconstructing the temple... And this temple hasn't even been destroyed yet. We're talking about in 597, God is talking about rebuilding a temple and the one that's there is not going to be destroyed until about 11 years later. Can you see that? Then he says, shall give to the priests of the Levites that be of the seed of Zadok. The seed of Zadok means those that were down in the lineage of Zadok. 
there were 24 courses that came out of that came out of the two remaining high priests of Israel after God killed Nadab and Abihu the sin, the sons of Ithamar and Eleazar and out of Ithamar and Eleazar came Zadok and Abiathar then he says which approached unto me the minister unto me saith the Lord God a young bullock for a sin offering then if you look up at verse 15 of chapter 44 the fact that Zadok and his lineage is there means this is a literal temple and the only literal temple it can be is this one down here that they're going to build in 538 they're going to stop in 536 and then Haggai and Zechariah are going to tell them get busy rebuilding it in 520 thou shalt say to now look here in verse 15 the priests the Levites the sons of Zadok it doesn't say Zadok it says the sons of Zadok that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me they shall come near to me to minister unto me but that will be the second temple down here the one that's rebuilt with the orders of Cyrus and Darius then he says over here in Ezekiel 48 Ezekiel 48 he wouldn't have Zadok in here the sons of Zadok if it wasn't a literal temple and it couldn't be the New Testament it couldn't be New Testament because Ephesians 2.14 says blotting out all the rituals everything in this temple would be blotted out when Israel becomes spiritual spiritual when all the rituals are blotted out so it has to be an Old Testament temple that was reinstituted it was blueprints that was spoken by that was spoken by Ezekiel that's what it has to be and then he I could read through here and give you all kinds of proof that's what this is talking about and he says in 4811 Let's read 9, 10, and 11 because you're not going to understand 9 and 10. I just want to read it to show you if all, all Scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable, then this has to be profitable to somebody, not to you and I, but to those priests that are going to rebuild the temple. The oblation that shall be of the Lord shall be 5 and 20,000 in length and 10,000 in breadth and for them even for even for the priest shall be this holy oblation oblation was the bread offering toward the north five and twenty thousand its length and toward the west ten thousand in breadth and toward the east ten thousand in breadth toward the south five and twenty thousand in length can somebody explain that to me you can't I can't either 
But do you think the high priest knew what it was talking about? Absolutely. And was it profitable to them? Yes. And the sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the midst thereof. The sanctuary was the temple. And it shall be for the priests that are sanctified of the sons of Zadok, which have kept my charge, which went out not astray, when the children of Israel went astray. He's talking about when Israel did go astray, and the Levites went astray. And this oblation of the land that is offered shall be unto them a thing most holy by the border of Israel. When you look earlier at this chapter, it says in verse 1, there will be a portion for Dan. and verse 2, a portion for Asher. Verse 3, a portion for Naphtali. These are the sons of Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. These are literal sons. You know how many preachers I've heard wrestle with this whole thing? If you don't understand the timetable of when Joachim was carried captive, if you don't understand that this what year this was in the captivity of Joachim, that's found in the second verse of the first chapter of this book, you're not going to understand it. When we run across something this difficult to understand when you read anything through the through those uh, you read anything about all these sin offerings you can just take uh, verse 20 of chapter 46 then said he unto me in this place where the priest shall boil the trespass offering the offerings had to be boiled not fried unless it was a burnt offering and sin offering where they shall bake the meat offering and they burn them not unto the utter court to sanctify the people see you're not going to understand that that's a priest's instruction how to offer offerings we're not going to understand these words from 40 through 46 but the priest understood him when Cyrus gave him the instruction to go back and build the temple of God. And it had been destroyed. It had been leveled to the ground. Everything in this book is for our instruction. If you look back at verse chapter 45, verse 21, and the first month and the 14th day of the month, that's a literal Passover instruction. Shall, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days. That's the feast of the Passover that started the next day. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. There's nothing spiritual about that. That's the literal Passover. Now we're in a spiritual Passover. I've got much more to say on this. Do I have any time, Mike? One minute. Ah. I'll come back. There's so much to this. It's I've never heard anybody that understand it. Everybody's looking at it in a wrong way. The fact that there's instructions how to build the temple in the book of Ezekiel 
and he's over in Babylon and nobody in Israel is going to care about the instruction. I believe there's a certain few that are descendants of Aaron over here, but they're not in control while all these other priests are offering all these idols, particular sacrifices. But when they get carried away and the temple is destroyed in 586, the instructions of how to build the temple has to come from somewhere. And it came from Ezekiel. And that's the second temple that's built. I'll come back next week. We'll do some more of this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, thank you for giving us an understanding of what's going on. I pray that you'll that you'll help us to continue. Give me strength to continue. If it's going to your will and your mercy, give me strength for years to come to continue to preach the truth. I do not know what to do about opening the church. With this Delta variant, Lord, help instruct me. I don't want people to come and get the coronavirus and die from it or get severely sick from it. Thank you for truth. Fight all of our battles. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that wasn't too confusing. I tried to make it as plain as I could. You can see that, can't you? When you read those six chapters from 40, well, actually seven chapters from 40 to 40 through 46, it doesn't make any sense to you and I, other than the fact it'll mention Zadok. It'll mention these offerings, their Old Testament offerings, and we know they have been blotted out.